The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, everybody. This is a quick reminder that if you go to Watching the Throne on iTunes and rate us anywhere from one to five stars, and then you take a screenshot of that review and get it to us either through Twitter, we are at Kanye Podcast, or you email it to me at Travis at WatchingTheThrone.com, you will get entered to win My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy on vinyl, or I guess any format you want it on, maybe CD, maybe it's on cassette somewhere, I don't know. But if you do that, you will get entered into a contest with everyone else, and we will pick a winner in the next month or two. Uh, So good luck. Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. So keep your love, I don't get enough of it. Jesus just rose again. Listen to the kids. Welcome to Watching the Throne. A lyrical analysis of Kanye West. Oh shit. My name is Chris. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Bean. And today we are doing an interview with a very special guest. (laughs) Yeah, we got Cole Kushna, host of uh, Dissect Podcast, here to uh, tell us his story, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's up, guys? <laughs> hey, Cole. Why don't uh, you tell tell the listeners out there a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is Cole. I host and create Dissect Podcast. Um, first season was on Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly. Essentially, um, every season, I pick one album and one song per episode. Not unlike what you guys do, I dissect a single album from start to finish and kind of get a um, long form analysis broken into short digestible episodes is kind of the catchphrase. And the idea being that in this kind of chaotic world of, of uh, short attention spans and things like that, uh, we need a, a place and a format for long, long form analysis, but also to cater to our short attention span. So that's kind of the premise of the show and season two, which launches, Today, when this goes out, um, is on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, and that's beautiful. Awesome. That's dark, and that's twisted. <laughs> I love the short digestible tag because it is literally the opposite of us. It is what we really need to do, like once in a while. <laughs> Old pack, maybe a little bit, but we're incapable of it. But you're there to talk about my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in a listenable format. So we thank you that so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, I think it'll, it's, it's similar and it's not, you know. I mean, I think, uh, yeah. I think we're going for the same goal, but it's just a different format. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's nice to have that kind of, uh, I mean, you talk about people catering to people's short attention spans, there's different, different flavors for everyone, right? Not just uh, vanilla ice cream, which you got <laughs> raspberry ice cream, <laughs> blueberry ice Neapolitan. cream, Neapolitan, peach cobbler ice cream, apple ice cream. <laughs> and the, the under- oh, I need peach cobbler ice cream, ice cream in my life. <laughs> um, I'm a more of van- vanilla ice cream guy. Ah, uh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> the underrated. It is. I, I would agree with that. I, I, I feel like... Uh, Vanilla is the sort of 808s of ice cream. Like it, it like it doesn't seem like there's a lot there. It's like minimalist. It's it's light, but when you get down to it, like there's so much flavor and so much to really dive into. Yeah, uh, I'm on board. I sometimes <laughs> crave McDonald's cones. Just like hey, McDonald's vanilla. ice cream is not bad. 
No, it's good. It's, yeah. Well, so, so Cole, uh, your story, <laughs> eh? When, uh, do you remember when you first heard Kanye's music? Like the first Kanye song you maybe heard or the first time you sat down with the Kanye album? Yeah, it was definitely, I was thinking about this. Um, it was definitely Jesus Walks. And it was, I saw a music video on the TV screen when that was still a thing. Um, I saw the Jesus Walks video. I remember thinking, I mean, this was obviously like 14 years ago now, but I remember thinking, and I, it's one of those moments, weirdly enough, that I remember, I have a terrible memory usually, but I can remember it pretty vividly because I just remembered I've never seen anything like it and I've never heard any, any song like it. I just remember being, I wasn't like crazy into hip hop at, at that time. Um, but I definitely dug in right away to his music uh, after that point. And I mean, from there, it was just, you know, Stan, Stan style, I guess. <laughs> uh, what about Jesus Walks, do you think was? Yeah, I was just wondering in particular, do you remember what it was about either the the video or the music that really spoke to you? I mean, first, I just liked the track. I just thought it sounded really good. Um, aside from that, though, I mean, back then, the the landscape of hip-hop was so different. And I remember thinking, you know, this guy's talking about Jesus in a song that doesn't sound like a Christian song, you know? It's not your traditional thing. And I just remember being really, really unique uh, and, and super passionate, and the visuals were really, really good. Uh, yeah, I just remember being really impressed. What uh, what kind of music were you listening to mostly at that time? I don't know. 14 years ago, let's see. I was probably more into like um, like at the drive-in, um, like more of that indie kind of Mars Volta, The Killers, that that kind of that kind of world. Oh, hell yeah. The Killers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr. Brightside taking the world by storm? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like so sure you're going to say Green Day or something. I was going to be like, hey, here we go. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> I don't know anything about him. I, I just thought it would be a, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I was in an in indie rock band at that time, so it was... It was yeah, at the drive-in, Mars Volta was kind of my my wheelhouse. Sure. Well, so you said uh, it created an instant stand when you heard that. Did you just go, do you remember running out and like just grabbing College Dropout, devouring it, and then just being kind of uh, looking forward to all the albums that came out after that? Or was there any kind of gap between liking College Dropout and just a little bit more casual following that with the rest of the albums? Yeah, I mean, I remember my, my most vivid memories. I definitely remember when, like, late registration hit. Um, but mostly, I really remember the graduation rollout um, pretty vividly. And, I mean, I was buying the albums on the first day type of type of fan. <laughs> um, you know, purchased my physical graduation so he could beat 50 Cent type of thing. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, 808s was what really put me over the edge in terms of I mean, his artistry was always shown, and he was definitely carved out his own niche uh, and created an influence with the college trilogies. But when 808s hit, that's kind of when I was fully on board with him. Um, I just love that. I mean, I have a soft spot for like bands like Radiohead and the Beatles, who kind of use their popularity to then introduce a public to brand new sounds and innovation. And don't just kind of rest on their laurels. And I remember just when he hit, when 808 hit, I was just, I was floored. Um, and I love that he took that risk. And I love that he introduced um, that style of music, which at that time was obviously unlike anything anyone's ever heard. And then now today, that's like all you ever hear on the radio. So um, yeah. to kind of be old enough. Because all you hear is Drake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like. <laughs> That, that sound, that minimalism meets trap drums. I mean, that was 808s. And to be old enough to kind of live through that and also be old enough to, like, understand it and see that influence happening in real time was, uh, was 
is definitely a cool experience. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, almost like we need to have how there's like AD and BC. We need to have like pre 808s and post 808s <laughs> as our like calendar for music. I agree. Yeah, that's yeah. Was there a yeah, song on I mean, 808s in particular? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, ironically, I kind of fell off. Um, I, after 808s, I, I went to school for music composition, and basically I turned my ears off against everything except for classical music. So I fell out of touch with, like, I don't remember the, the rollout of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy so much. I remember Good Fridays and stuff, but I was like passively following it um, until I got out of college. And then I kind of had all this new music to rediscover, uh, like after watching The Throne and stuff. And then I kind of got back on track with what was happening in the in the modern world. <laughs> Were you studying classical music? Yeah, yeah. I was pretty heavily involved in that world, um, writing pieces for full orchestra and and chamber music and which is you know a pretty tall feat so I, I didn't have time to really listen to anything other than classical music at that time hmm. is there some sort of crisscross happening between what you love about classical music and what you love about kanye is there somewhere in the middle where they meet and you're just like they're doing something on some level for you that really works yeah, and that's kind of the the premise of uh, one of the premises of dissect is that I spent all this time studying this quote unquote high art. You know, people revere or just in their minds consider classical this this kind of on a pedestal music template. Um, but to me, I actually don't see any difference between classical and good music in any genre. Um, and Kanye is a perfect example of someone that's utilizing hip-hop as a genre or i mean outside of hip-hop obviously him but um is utilizing it in the same way that a beethoven was in his day um there could never be another beethoven i'm convinced that like a kanye west in our day and age is our beethoven and the one of my favorite things about the season that i'm producing um for season two with kanye is that i get to actually directly connect like a lineage between I actually referenced Beethoven and his use of the C minor key signature with Kanye West powers uh, use of the C minor key signature. And I'm able to draw direct parallels between their music, um, which has been really fascinating and really fun for me. But yeah, there's definitely yeah, a direct I'd... connection in my mind. Yeah. I, I uh, heard that part of that ad on that episode and I thought it was kind of, next level shit oh cool yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping my to use my my background in in classical which is i know not everyone's background kind of to show some things maybe that people would never consider just because obviously it takes you know a certain kind of person to dive into classical <laughs> well I, I think it's helpful too because so much of the conversation about kanye west as an artist is still emerging right like it, when we talk about beethoven or we talk about picasso uh a lot of these names that are thrown out there synonymous with high art and the best artist in their in their field at least at that time um so much of the scholarly work has been done uh a lot of the debates and conversations that were uh molten at the time have cooled and formed the landscape of understanding that this person is the great artist uh, and their personalities kind of fall away. It's just the artist that remains. But with Kanye, we're still in the midst of kind of the volcanic eruption. He's still producing conversation about him is still very, uh, very, <laughs> he's still meeting with Trump. Yeah. Uh, creating like, a very interesting landscape when it comes to talking about Kanye, which is why I think uh, what you're saying about being able to make connections between Kanye and these artists that are very well respected, like Beethoven, in that sense, to show that kind of lineage adds to the conversation that is 
what kind of artist is Kanye and what kind of artist, what's his legacy going to be? Like we're shaping that legacy. Yeah. And I, I also think, you know, music at its best is representative of its time. So you can use Beethoven's music, for instance, um, to learn about the history of what was going on during that time um, through his symphonies, which, you know, a lot of them directly reference the politics and that landscape that was going on. And that was also the only genre of music back then. I mean, or that was the main genre. And now we're living in an age where hip hop is the main genre. I don't know if you guys saw that study that just came out, but you know, hip hop is the most popular music in America right now. And we're not going to look back. We're going to look back on this era or, or the people ahead of us are going to look back on this era and they're going to be looking at hip hop and they're going to be looking at Kanye West and Kendrick Lamar and Jay-Z as the people that are representing this time. Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with genre. I think it has to do with relevancy and just what people were actually listening to at that time. Yeah, I, I think that's so exciting just because I we just talked about this in an episode, but hip hop is still so young. Like it is so young compared to so many different forms of art and even styles of music. And it, we are like, I think in this period where even though rap was great and did great things in its early days in the 90s, like it's really reached to me a kind of a pinnacle for as a form of art and Kanye kind of really represents that transition, you know, what he did with 808s and Yeezus and now what he's done with the life of Pablo. It, it really transcends what we thought hip hop was and has brought it to this new territory. And to think, <laughs> to be able to look back that in like 50 years from now, I think it's going to be kind of mind blowing. Yeah, I, I, to I totally agree. What, um, so you're in school, uh, for musical composition, working heavily with uh, classical music, composing it, listening to it. When you said you emerged and had all this kind of present day, modern day music to listen to, um, did you view Kanye's earlier albums in a different way than you had before? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about it that way, but I definitely there's like almost a nostalgic quality to them where you hear them with fresh ears. Obviously you're, you're thinking about the, the memories that you're making during that time. Um, but then also you get like a not antiquity, but it's like, you know, that kind of, that style of music isn't being created. And I don't know if it could be created again. Um, so I kind of quickly realized that that was kind of a time capsule of an era that I had, suddenly realized that I was now that was something different now um and I think that's kind of reflected in a work like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy um or watch the throne or you know that whole that era of music which was obviously building on on what came before it but yeah I was gone I was gone long enough to to realize things had changed that's for sure <laughs> hmm. I, you came back into everything too with my beautiful dark twisted fantasy out like it was ready for you that must have been really crazy for you and it's probably weird to think about now because you're doing an entire season on it in your podcast like do you remember what it was like hearing that album with fresh ears when like the world had already been consuming it for a while yeah i was kind of pissed at myself <laughs> like, how, did I, how did i miss this like i mean from just the opening the opening chords of just like like i have never heard an album like this and definitely not an album within the genre of hip hop like this, like that, that first minute of that song of dark fantasy is just, I mean, if that's not a wake up call to something really special, then, you know, I don't know what is. And I still remember like when that album came out and just being in the car, it was 22 degrees outside in Ohio and I had to put the windows down while listening to it just because I had the volume so loud and it was much better listening to it with the windows down and driving fast yeah, and yeah. freezing than it was just keeping the windows up and the volume low. Yeah, that's awesome. Kanye keeps you warm. <laughs> <laughs> like Campbell's suit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like he has those strong arms around me. 
Oh gosh, I can only I can only dream. Also, <laughs> um, Kanye goes from this kind of nostalgic period into something that feels much more transcendent with 808s and then My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Getting into Yeezus and the Life of Pablo, um, were you on board with those projects immediately? Or are they projects that you grew to like over time that you still feel hesitant about? Where do you land there? Oh, no. I mean, Yeezus is my favorite Kanye album, hands down. Um, I mean, I remember when I was so excited when Yeezus came out, like, that that is, like, tonally and sonically, that is, like, my kind of album. And and it, it was another 808s to me where, like, he was using his popularity and his influence to pre- present new ideas and new sounds and, and kind of expanding people's worlds. And I think we're just now starting to see the real influence of, of Yeezus. Um, like even um, Vince Staples' new record, I think, is a perfect example of what Yeezus could potentially do um, in terms of sonic influence and in hip hop. Um, but yeah, I mean, that Ye- when Yeezus came out, that was that was a great moment for me. It was again another 808s, another kind of Kid A, Radiohead, uh, another Sgt. Pepper moment in music history for me. Um, yeah, I just love that he was taking that risk, and it just sounds great. The narrative's great. I mean, there's that's that's my definitely hands down favorite Kanye record. My man, it's, uh, <laughs> you're in good company. <laughs> I just get I just got goosebumps, like playing in my head. Not even like playing it, but just thinking about the opening seconds of On Sites, and just like yeah. how iconic that kind of scrambled weird sound is. Ugh. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're a Kanye fan and you're used to a certain level, a certain sound from him, even coming off my beautiful twisted fantasy, like even though that album is maximalist and a whole new sound, like Jesus is almost like grunge in a way, you know, it's like, it really grabs you in a way that you're not ready for. I think with Kanye and I wish I had an immediate reaction to it. Like my my love for Jesus is, was kind of a slow burn, and um, which I think actually just speaks to like how deep and layered it is. It takes time to really consume and understand. But I, I, that element of it to me is so transcendent and amazing that he could that he had the uh, bravery to go, bravery, Jesus Christ, that to go to that point <laughs> and really just like put out something that would literally never in a year, million years like playing the radio, like not be super popular, but really advances like artistic, uh, you know, movement and growth and all that. Yeah. And even with the, like the installation pieces of the music video and the way that he released it, uh, and the cover art being like this kind of goodbye to CD or physical CDs. Um, I just, everything about it was, really thought out i thought pretty pretty incredibly yeah what uh did you have any fear like do you have fear that each time a kanye album comes out you may be like oh no i don't like this <laughs> no i'm at the point where kanye has done enough and i think anything that i get from kanye from this point on is kind of bonus <laughs> um <laughs> i mean i like the life of pablo was probably the slowest um, like you called it a slow burn. That's probably how I describe the life mm. of Pablo, my experience. Once I understood what he was doing, I enjoyed it a lot better. Like the messiness of it. Like I'm a very organized person. <laughs> that <laughs> record is a, is a beautiful mess. And once I got past that, the, and and that was kind of what he was going for or ended up going for. I don't know if that was planned initially, but um, once it became that and once I bought into that idea, um, yeah, I've come to definitely love it as well. Hmm. That's interesting to me. I, uh, I think a lot of my slow burn with Jesus was that I didn't, I don't think I fully understood kind of even to that point. Like, even though I thought My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy was one of the best albums ever and I had been running you know my running mixes were all just connie like connie was my life it was everything and i but he wasn't really somebody i followed a ton i guess 
Um, and I think uh, for the life of Pablo, it was more of a case where I had been following him so much and I was in that whole Twitter mess when he was saying the album's coming out and then it wasn't coming out and he was telling the world about like his album. Like the summit about it felt very unified and I felt included in it in a way that um, I didn't, it wasn't a slow burn for me at all for the life of Pablo. It was like the second I heard Ultra Light Beam, I was like, I, I had bought in the Kanye saying, you know, this is the album of life. Um, and I was, I'm wondering, is that, is that a relationship you have with Kanye? Is he somebody that you follow and you, he kind of influences, I guess maybe, <laughs> I don't know if it goes to the lengths of me and Chris are at where, <laughs> where Kanye is like <laughs> defining things in our lives. And like, we live our lives by Kanye, but is, do you follow him on that level? And do you like buy into like his message and all that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm probably not at your guys' level just because <laughs> I don't have the title. Yeah, I, don't know, I have a daughter and a family and stuff, so it's hard to, <laughs> yeah. More important yeah. things in life. <laughs> yeah, that changes a lot. I mean, um, but I would say I used to follow him really, really closely. I still follow him. I still know about his fashion releases. I know about his mess with Jay-Z, and I know, you know, all that. I, I know all that stuff for sure. Um, yeah, and you know his his influence on fashion and, and urban culture in general is you know that's something that I really respect and I think that he doesn't get enough credit for in the general populace. Like when I ask, when I tell my mom or my dad how influential they that he is to culture, it's kind of one of those hard conversations. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys have that experience too. But oh God, <laughs> every uh, Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Yeah, I was I was um, getting my hair cut, and I got into like a a big discussion. It wasn't so much like an argument because I was like, "She has scissors near my head. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna be calm about this." But she's just like, "H, oh, I hate him. I hate him." Yeah, and I just have like a single tear rolling down my cheek. Which is like, yeah, and that's a big, that's kind of one of my big goals with this season um, with Dissect is like my first, I always said that my first uh, Kendrick Lamar season was, you know, the goal of it was to make my mom a fan of Kendrick Lamar, meaning that um, <laughs> if she would have heard her his music out of context, just on the radio or wherever, she would just instantly write it off because she doesn't like the sound of it. But I think his music is much more than the sound of the music. And I wanted to present it in a way that would be accessible to someone like her. Um, that was kind of the goal. The same thing is with Kanye is that I think he's very representative of how we view and treat icons with disrespect or um, not having a lot of empathy or just they, they become some, they, they, they become dehumanized, which I think is really dangerous, especially for artists that are giving us these beautiful gifts all the time. Yeah. Um, and so part of this season is trying to create empathy, um, with Kanye, um, a sense of, you know, that he is human that he does, you know, imagine yourself at the level that he's at and the pressures that he must deal with. Um, and I want to, I want to humanize Kanye. That's kind of one of my goals with the season. And I think that, you know, if my mom was the goal for, for Kendrick Lamar, then my sister, <laughs> who is an avid uh, Kanye West um, hater, my, my goal will be to convince her. <laughs> Love it. I I think that's a I think that's a good measuring stick because if you're just like trying to create a show to convince like the average fan it's just like the average non-fan it's like where do I start but if you have that model in mind of like my sister being able to extrapolate from there <laughs> um yeah and it gives a little bit of that that personal drive which I think is a is a good lesson for anybody that's creating anything just to kind of have um, a person in your life that you're making this for in a certain way that helps add that little extra bit of motivation. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I don't know, maybe you guys feel this too, but it's kind of frustrating the stigma around him 
Uh, it's like you can't, and I, I even fall victim to it all the time. It's like you can't talk about him without talking about his personality, which I think is ridiculous. And you know, time will, time will, that'll be a positive. And as time goes by, and uh, history kind of proves that his quote unquote arrogance is was, you know, that'll be a footnote to the legacy that he that he left us. But living in the moment, it's it's very frustrating to have to deal with that anytime his name brought up yeah i think the biggest frustration for me personally is that i I, what most people see of kanye is is just that what they see if you're not a kanye fan you just see the ridiculous thing he said you see what this media posted of him you see him interrupting taylor swift like you don't it's not like you know everything about Kanye West, and you wouldn't if you weren't a fan. Like, why would you? Like, you wouldn't go deep into his life and try to figure out his personality. And because of that, I think his personality is actually a little, uh, der- like, it's not represented fully. Like, as somebody who is following Kanye at a stalkerish level, I don't really have a problem with his personality. I don't agree with everything he said. Just like I don't agree with everything Chris says, but like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to talk about shit, shit behind Chris's back. You know, I, I, it's just Connie is this like entity to me. He's somebody that there's a lot of depth to him that the public just doesn't see, doesn't really care to see. And that's why it's kind of tough having that conversation with the, you know, casual, uh, somebody who's just casually sees Connie, who doesn't really look into him. It's, it almost makes me wonder if the conversation is kind of worth having, which is a terrible thing to say because yeah. it's the opposite of what your podcast is doing. <laughs> You're trying to introduce people to Kanye and kind of the beauty of this. But to me, it's like I've been kind of um, it's 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 kind of made me a little downtrodden about the matter. Like it's it's become physically draining for me to try to convince people of Kanye when I think in general people don't really want to know the deeper side of him. Yeah, I, I I definitely see that. Um, I I I definitely agree, actually. Um, and like, it's not like on my show, I'm like begging people to to do it. It's yeah. more like it's more con- it's more convincing based on like journalistic approach. You know, like I'm not right. directly implying like, hey, you should feel this way, but it's like presenting the material in a way that I think hopefully everyone could re- at least respect. Yeah, it's very NPR-ish. <laughs> I think uh, I think what both of you are saying is exactly how the conversation probably needs to go. Because if you are trying to have more of that, like, hey, you should like Kanye because of this, this, and this, most of the time people will push back, like, don't tell me what to like. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I feel like a lot of the information, Travis, as you were saying, is comes from headlines. But when people start to realize that Kanye has that background in um, like the arts and was writing poetry early on, was uh, off in China for a while and doing all <laughs> kinds of crazy things, that he and his dad would go to art museums all the time. And Kanye was learning about like artistic technique, that he was a painter and had a painting, like a scholarship to an art school for fine art and painting. Like uh, those are the things that I think qualify in people's minds a bit more that he is an artist but if you just see the headlines and you just think of him as a musician um and i don't mean to say musician is a negative term but musicians are artists but you think about like somebody like pitbull you know like is pitbull necessarily like (laughs) you take that back (laughs) (laughs) he's a musician but is is he an artist like uh i feel like not every not every artist is a musician. Likewise, not every musician is an artist. Um, yeah. Especially with the industry. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So people just yeah, being I, able to I, learn those facts about Kanye, I think, helps. Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't think of Kanye as a musician um, really at all. I mean, that's part of what he does, but I think he's he's well beyond that. And you would just have to call him an artist in the same way that you'd have to call a Kendrick Lamar an artist at this point too. Um, what he's doing outside of music with visuals and, and concert performances and with Kanye fashion. I mean, there's just music is just one, 
you know, one area that he does very well, but at this point it's just one area of what he, he contributes. Yeah. And I think that'll be part of what we already talked about how in 50 years we'll be able to look at Kanye and really understand him more. I mean, right now, I mean, I get it why you just look at him as solely as a musician because that's what he does. You wouldn't, you know, you don't, you're not going to go like look up all his background and see that he loves poetry and you won't see that he's made a movie like that's on the level of Stanley Kubrick that he wants to make a video game. You just know, you know, he interrupted Taylor Swift and fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, well, it's interesting about his, his story too. And, um, just how he came up, you know, it's kind of interesting. Well, you know, when he came up, gangster rap was, you know, the the, the subgenre of hip hop was the dominant sh- subgenre. And his story is interesting because it's like, but it's one I think a lot of people could relate to if they knew it was, you know, he was trying to fit into a world where his, you know, suburban kind of background was working against him. Um, and he had people you know, literally making fun of him to his face and behind his back when they, he would rap for them. Um, you know, and that, that kind of story, you know, and him, and one of the things I try to do on the show is kind of put context to his, his arrogance, which he has, you know, been on record very early on saying that I've created, you know, my ego is a product of me being insecure and also me being faced with this adversity of, people not accepting me for who I am. And he called it a force field, you know, so his ego becomes a force field and it's the only way that he was able to persevere through that and not accept defeat. Um, which I think is a story that everyone can re- can relate to if they knew it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think he's taken it to the level of, uh, like that ego becomes part of like who he is, like this image, like, uh, kind of like Edward glowing in Twilight, you know, like it's this like thing that radiates radiates off him. And I, I, he really uses it to inspire people. I think I, I find it inspiring this idea that you, it's one thing to say, like someone like if you believe in yourself, you can do anything. Like Connie is literally living that in a way that is insane. Kind of like what you were referring to in those early days when he would rap for people and they would just laugh at him and like say like you can't rap like this is ridiculous but kanye had a different vision for himself you know he wasn't just a rapper he was an artist he was going to create this like next level kind of music which she went on to do because of that he believed in himself that much which is insane and like you might think it's delusional but look what he did he's the biggest rap star in the world yeah there's also something to be said about the uh, the cultivation of celebrity in the way that he does uh, from most of the interviews that I've read and things that I've seen, the conversation is that when Kanye is off camera behind the scenes away from people, just with friends and family, he's not the kind of blustery, intense uh, Kanye that we see that goes on to the Ellen show or onto the radio <laughs> Um, it's really interesting reading accounts from like his stepmom or his cousin or just other artists that have met him, uh, and talked with him and the image of the Kanye that they encountered versus the image of the Kanye that we see in the public, uh, realm. I feel like that's a a very interesting idea that a lot of the the ego that we see could also be not just force field, but also uh, branding. Yeah. The Andy Warhol syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think at this point he, I mean, he's a very smart guy, obviously. And I think he knows what he is doing most of the time in terms of what, but what media buttons he's pushing at what time. That's pretty clear to me at this point now. It's so, getting into everything that you did for season two, all the research, all the interviews that you had to watch and listen <laughs> to. Um, I'm sure all the work that went into the show that doesn't even make it into the show, but helps uh, decide what does and doesn't. Um, how did your perspective on 
Kanye, even as a fan going into it, uh, shift or change or adjust or what surprised you the most of the process? Um, I mean, I always think of the early interview that I, I used a lot on the the first episode, which was an unpublished uh, or unaired um, MTV before. I forgot what it was, um, which exact show it was, but they never aired it. And it was him right when he got signed to Rockefeller, but hadn't broken in the mainstream yet. And how eager he was to get out. Like he knew he knew he was going to be this person. He like, it was in his mind. He saw it before anyone else. Um, and also just kind of reading the accounts of even from a very young age at age three, I think it was his mom said that like Kanye has been Kanye since age three. I, you know, this is not, this is, this is who he is. This is not anything new. Um, but also, you know, taking the earlier interviews and the early accounts and then kind of seeing how it evolved. I think there's that, that foundation of who he was and then what fame did to him. Um, it's like kind of, I don't know about sad, but there's kind of this melancholic thread to his later work that was not there in his early work so much. Oh, yeah. I mean, late registration definitely has its moments of, of melancholy, but you know, the music gets very personal in a way in the later work that contrasts with this. You can kind of hear his ambition and that youthfulness and that kind of optimism in the early in the early records and then kind of progressing. It's kind of this decaying, um, stressful. Um, I don't know. It's just it's kind of, yeah, it's a little bit sad. I don't know. Uh, that makes yeah, sense, but for sure. I think kind of stuck out. I think especially on Yeezus, my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is the lead in the Yeezus, and it's literally the stripping down of his character. It's happening at the end of my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy that leaves this kind of shell that is Yeezus, where it's like almost emotionless and like kind of depraved of any humanity. Just this being that has been stripped apart by society and celebrity and he's just kind of off the rails and i i think that's what makes the life of pablo so beautiful is we see him kind of blossom and regain what made old kanye like so appealing you know he's he's kind of moved out of this Jesus mode and just following that whole trajectory of him is uh like fascinating to me but yeah you're totally right that decaying is such a important part of probably between 808s and Jesus. like that's really where it's happening yeah, no, definitely. That's what makes... Uh, we often talk about the narrative journey that you can... I don't think it's... I, I never argue anything in terms of like canon, but we like to talk about the arc that you can kind of trace of Kanye's life and that reflected in the journey of the music. And just seeing that downturn and then kind of the redemption that comes out in the life of Pablo leading into wolves with Kim is just uh it's such a beautiful and hopeful thing to me that I'm just like, what a journey I just went on to see somebody like grow up, lose their innocence, uh, lose hope and then rediscover that hope and uh, a drive to move forward into a better life with this person that they love. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, let me ask you this. Where does where does Life of Pablo end? Does it end with Wolves or does it end with now Saint um Saint Pablo? Uh, Saint Pablo. Ooh. Well, I think we We talked about this. Yeah, we feel that the main story of the album uh ends with Wolves in a sense that that's like the main arc with the last few tracks being a kind of epilogue. Um that Got show it. more of uh, the present day kind of Kanye. Got it. Especially since St. Pablo in particular is kind of a, it was made after the album was done and it's kind of this, this broad, like, uh, you know, standing on a mountain, look at everything that's going on and Kanye reacting to how the public reacted to his own album. It's kind of this, I find the whole 
bonus tracks on the life of Pablo really fascinating in that sense to where, yeah, it doesn't connect with the story necessarily in a linear sense, but it is a definite continuation of everything we've experienced in the life of Pablo. Like it's, he's been born into this family life. He's grown up. He's discovered what it is to live a full life. And then we get these God mode tracks where Connie's really kind of like looking at the landscape, looking at his career. It's disconnected, like kind of emotionally from the specific things in life, Paul, but it's also looking at everything that, you know, those emotional tracks fed into of his career. It's, I think it's really fascinating in a way like that is harder to define than the, you know, the narrative of Jesus and the life of Pablo, which is so specific and exact. The epilogue tracks on the life of Pablo are kind of abstract in that way. And I, I love that. I love that he went to that space and really did just in a way make bonus tracks like he calls them. Do you, do you guys think he's going to keep adding on to it? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that would, uh, That'd be interesting if he did, if he continued to go back, tweak, add things. Um, I kind of, it feels weird to say I kind of hope not, but I guess I, <laughs> we have all these versions already of the album that it's, what's, why not have more? Um, yeah. But I guess I'm more interested in seeing what he does next rather than adding more onto that one. Got it, yeah. Um, but to what Travis is saying, I, I do kind of view it as uh, like between Ultralight Beam and uh, Wolves. It's like we get this story and then you see a book close if it was a movie. And then you realize like the character has been reading us this book the whole time of their life. And then the last 10 minutes of the movie is just follow them, following them around at the present day. And you're like, oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a cool way to, to view it um okay so what uh what has you most excited about the season for people to hear and um understand about kanye or encounter do you have like an episode that you're really like excited for people to listen to because you think it's going to be the one that uh kind of blows their blows their mind yeah, the one I sent you guys, uh, the power episode, um, is probably the one. I, the whole the whole season's not done yet, but power is the one right now um, that I hope that people can. I think it really exemplifies the depth of his work. Um, it was really hard to pack in everything. I mean, obviously, I'm leaving things out, but you know, I think it's like 40 minutes or whatever, but what I was able to pack in there and the connections that I drew to earlier music uh, with Beethoven and kind of unpacking the music video and how that plays a role um, with the interpretation of the, just the song itself. Um, that's kind of the one that I think exemplifies what he is capable of doing both musically, lyrically um, and visually. It's a nice little package. It is a nice little Which package. Which I didn't know... I did place <laughs> a little Kanye package, but yeah, I didn't really know that going into into power too. And it's always, I'm sure you guys have the experience of thinking you know something about a song, and then oh, yeah. down with it and realize and realizing that you like a lot of times they'll be like, well, this song probably doesn't have a lot to it, and then I'll sit down and be like, oh well, shit, like this is my <laughs> longest episode yet. Um, For I'm us, sure you guys uh, Oh yeah, I, my earliest memory of that weirdly was "Breathe In, Breathe Out," which sounds stupid as shit. But when <laughs> I think we went into the "Breathe In, Breathe Out" episode, like God, this is Kanye's worst song. And then Chris and I listened to it like a couple times, and we were reading the lyrics, and then both of us sitting there were just like, "I think this is pretty fucking good." <laughs> and we just found this like whole story that was like kind of foreshadowing new Kanye and like his ability to navigate this narrative. It was kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. But, I love that. I love that song for the record. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of the earliest, especially on that album that has so many guest verses. It's one of the few songs on that album. That's like narrative based and just him from beginning to end and getting to see the narrative really develop, not just in over the course of a verse like we get on Spaceship, 
but over the course of three verses and what he can do with that. And uh, he does some yep. things, which is exactly what you noted in the Power episode, how he's able to morph um, the listener's impression of the song and interpretation of the song to really bring you to different emotional uh, plateaus and valleys that you didn't expect you were going to go. Like, damn, Kanye. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a great... That Empower is just a great representation of that, just where the song begins and where it ends, and for not being a crazy long song. And he does it very... It's not... It's it's subtle too. I mean, that was a you know a radio hit, and to that's a feat in my eyes is to have a, a song with so much complexity, so much just sonic diversity, uh, but also maintain a pop sensibility is really 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 difficult to do. And I think people underestimate how difficult it really is to create art that is also be, is able to be popular. Um, that's a, it's probably one of the hardest things to do in art. I, think. <sighs> I wish I could experience that one day. <laughs> but, um, well, so do you, uh, do you have a top five Kanye songs that you'd like to share? I think I'm probably springing this on you. <laughs> I could give you, I'll give you the top five that come to mind. How about okay. that? And that's some kind of top five. Does that work? <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think for me, I think uh, Ultra Light Beams, the first one that comes to mind. Um, that is just a masterpiece, for, in my opinion. Uh, I really like I'm In It. Like, that song Oof. is my jam. <laughs> That's the one that I, I'll listen to the loudest. Um, I don't know <laughs> if I'd put that in my top five, but that, that's one that's coming to mind. Um Dark Fantasy. Um, let's see. How many is that? Four? Yeah, four. Yeah, I got three. I, I got it. <laughs> it's like it's like walking into the the video rental store or the music store. Oh god. You're just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with choices and then you go blank. Um You got this. Yeah, I'm thinking of all the op- I'm thinking of all the openers, but I don't want to just give you all the openers. Because <laughs> openers are so good. Uh, is it something on Yeezus? Is it something on? Uh... Yeah, I think uh, Spaceship is one that's coming to mind. Uh, that was a that was my favorite for a long time. Uh, Can't tell me nothing is a is another one. I think I'm at five there, but um, you yeah, are. I mean that's that's a tough that's a tough question. <laughs> yeah yeah chris I, and i get to uh carefully craft our list each week and <laughs> as we go song by song so it's a little easier for us and don't be ashamed or be hesitant about including i'm in it it was my number one for a while okay good it was uh my number one i think for a few weeks and then what replaced it i think blood on the probably Lakes. runaway and streetlights Oh, uh, Streetlights may have. I think Streetlights was up there for a little bit, and then Blood on the Leaves just leapt to one. Hmm. You know what's funny about Blood on the Leaves, as an admission, is that was my least favorite song on Jesus for a long time. Ooh. Ooh. That's okay. It, <laughs> it took me years to like college dropouts at all. Um, well... I well, that's funny because I I while I think Blood and Leaves is kind of so next level and it, there's so much to it that it's like impossible to not like it like it like I appreciate it on this level that is far above many kind of sounds that I might like more but with that said I kind of have a similar reaction to Blood and Leaves to where I I think right now on the podcast it's my lowest ranked Jesus song or second lowest ranked of the ones we've done because it, I just think sonically it's not the headspace I need us, you know, I want to be in with a song. It's, it, it's almost too, 
I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like it's almost too much to handle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you guys see it live? Yes. Yeah, I must That's have. I don't what, remember. It was one of the best songs when I saw him live. Oh, and you know, you guys know I was at the uh, Sacramento Meltdown, right? Oh shit. oh, shit. I did not know that. How was that? <laughs> it was like, you know, right right next to my, my daughter being born and, and getting married. <laughs> it's right up there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> If fuck. you've ever... Yeah, I mean, the, if you've ever been in a room, the, the biggest thing I took away was, like, me and my friend kind of, we were on the we were on the ground level, and then we went up to the bleachers and, and just sat and watched it kind of unfold after he walked off stage. But if you've ever been in a stadium, you're likely not to have, but that was kind of what was unique about it, the experience was that, you know, it went from just, because he was like an hour and a half late to get on stage for one. So the anticipation was just like nuts in the room. So when he finally did, and then he brought out Kid, uh, Kid Cudi with him, it was just euphoric, orgasmic arena just going insane, right? So you're on this ultimate high. And then literally three songs later, he's doing this rant, which in the moment, like you don't realize what's happening. Obviously you can't really understand what's going on uh, fully and the effect that it's going to have. Um, you know, I just remember actually thinking like, is, is he going to be okay? Like that was kind of my first thought. Cause it was clear that something was something unlike the crazy Kanye that we're used to is something different mm-hmm. than that. Um, but then the emotion in the room when he slowly took a stage you know, he was all the way across on one side of the arena. He didn't say anything as he was going from one side to the other. And then when he reached the other side of the arena is when he said, I forgot exactly what he said, but something to the effect of like the media is going to go crazy with this and then drops the mic. You know, the arena then goes just shock. Like what is, what's actually happening? Is he really walking off stage? Is he really, the concert really over? Then people start like crying like literally people around me are crying (laughs) and then and then it goes from that like kind of initial sadness to just anger like i there was you know 10 minutes into it there was a guy right next to me that like knocked over the divider on the ground like he was like took his shirt off and was like pissed breaking things holy like i I honestly thought there was going to be a riot like it was that kind of vibe um so just to be like you know within a 15 minute period to just experience, you know, 20,000 people kind of on this roller coaster of emotion was like, you know, just super fascinating from like a anthropological or anthropological kind of perspective. Yeah, wow. that, that would have to be because especially the personal perspective, it's not like you were just like a journalist there that's like covering it and you're like, oh, this is interesting. You're like there as a Kanye fan being like, what the fuck? But then having that disconnect to like watch everybody else, but then also having your own feelings come up in that matter and searching those and then observing again, it had to be such a strange, strange night. No, it was the the best thing was like people in Kanye shirts yelling, fuck Kanye. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was uh kendrick's line just uh ringing in your ear when shit hit the fan is you still a fan yeah that's kind of like i wrote a piece uh about the experience that i made a, a like a standalone podcast and that's kind of actually how i started um the segue from because i was deep into kendrick at that time so i started with that song mortal man um and kind of Kendrick's own um, premonition on fame and what's going to happen to him was my segue into Kanye being vilified. And, and then it kind of led me into empathy and exploring, you know, what is it to be empathetic? Truly is empathy. Is there a capacity on empathy? You know, do we reserve empathy for some people and other people not, or is it, you know, more of the objective universal thing when it's practiced? Um, it kind of led down those kind of more introspective uh, lanes just because I thought it was, and then it came out obviously that he was checked into a hospital, which I kind of 
saw it coming. I mean, it was, it was very clear that he was, something was going on. Um, and rather than to get angry, I thought it was more useful to be empathetic and, and concerned. That's a responsible Kanye fan. um damn well i'm happy that came up because that's uh that was great to hear your account of it um i yeah definitely different from what you kind of hear just from the you know media standpoint and you can only really gather what you can from a video but to be there and experiencing it live is just kind of a, a just a different headspace to be in yeah, I mean, and it was better than a concert, I thought, after the fact. Uh, yeah. It was, I would have remember, I would have remembered the concert, but I don't, it wouldn't be as special as this experience was. It's kind of sad, that is, to say, to see someone melting down. But from, like, a historical kind of perspective, it could be a very key point in Kanye's kind of arc uh, and career. So to be there and witness it was kind of cool. Because that's the that's the nader, right? Like after that, he goes to the hospital. He gets his sleep deprivation, like counseling and lectures. I'm sure of like, what the fuck are you doing, staying up for a week at a time? Like, you need to sleep. <laughs> you need to get on a healthy schedule. And uh, we're now in that post breakdown phase where we don't know yet how that will affect. Kanye the musician because oftentimes yep. you hear that musicians work best when they're sad or when they're in their like depressed states but there have been a lot of studies on that idea and most of the artists reported even in like you know letters that they'd share with friends somebody like Picasso or Mozart um that they actually did their best work when they were happy it wasn't the sad like depressive times that led to the like best music or the most uh important work they did it was when they were actually healthiest yeah i think it's going to be really interesting uh to see what he puts out next um i mean he's been in the studio right like seems like non-stop since then hell yeah but in a healthier more responsible way but hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, but, didn't he go to Montana or something to record for a while? Or I thought I read something about that. Uh, top of a mountain in Wyoming. <laughs> oh, there you go. It seems like that's Aziz's exactly mountain. It. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're headed for great for great things. I think so. This Kanye 3.0, I guess we're at that. <laughs> We're at that level. Well, is there uh, any other topics you want to discuss? Anything uh, else you want to say before we get going? No, just uh, thanks for you guys' work. Um, still catching up on your backlog, obviously. You guys got a lot of content <laughs> uh, to catch don't. up on. <laughs> you're definitely a great... <laughs> you're a good resource for me. I, li- you know, I listen to your guys' episodes as research um to my own podcast so that's a service that i appreciate <laughs> well that's uh that's happy to hear and i'm happy we can help in spreading the gospel of yay i'm also shocked you're also what i, I said i'm shocked i was kidding we're we're geniuses yeah. so i'm not shocked <laughs> <laughs> travis putting on his kanye ego all right well uh thank you so much for being on the show and um what uh what's the release schedule like for uh dissect season two so yeah this posts on tuesday august 1st uh first episode will drop on tuesday august 1st and it's a weekly installment so it'll be every tuesday uh, a new episode so it's three kind of preface episodes and then on the fourth episode, we finally get to Dark Fantasy. And then obviously one song per episode, and there'll be a recap um, episode. And probably I'll do one just specifically on uh, the Runaway film also. Awesome. Fuck yeah. Well, looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully everybody that's listening to this goes and listens to that. <laughs> it comes out the same day, so it really is a Tuesday. 
<laughs> That's right. Tuesdays. Yeah, perfect. perfect, perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Cole. Cool. Thank you very much. Go to audibletrial.com slash WTT to get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial with Audible. If you do, we'll love you as much as Kanye loves Kanye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.